Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, happy April Fool's Day. So already into April here. Can't believe the month of March flew by so so quickly. And got got some more time out in the woods this weekend. Hope that everyone else got to do the same. It was beautiful here in Pennsylvania. And finally came across a, an elk shed. So went out with my buddy Michael uh, Palladino, who was on the, the podcast here before. Um, and he, we were, we were looking, looking at going out. He was going to go out whitetail shed hunting. I was looking at going to look for some elks, some elk sheds. And, and he's like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go with you. And he goes, there's this area on, on a map. I've always wanted to check out. Do you want to go, you know, go take a look at it? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so basically, you know, kind of throwing a, a dart at the map there and, and we met up in the morning, uh, seven o'clock in the morning. He had a two and a half hour drive there and got to the, the bottom and where we we're going to park at and realized that the hike right to the top was, was 1200, uh, vertical feet of straight up a little over a mile to do that. And it was, it was a pretty grueling climb to, to warm up your legs, if you will, in the morning, but we got all the way up to the top and there was zero sign of humans anywhere, which is unreal for the amount of people that are out elk shed hunting right now. And, and within, I don't know, 20 minutes of being on top, maybe less, we just had split up and Michael yells that he found one. And so he found a fresh drop off of, uh, a bowl that actually with one of the little kickers and if the one tine hadn't been broken, would have been eight on one side. So, he found that, and originally it almost looked like it might have been an older shed because all the tips of the antlers were chewed off, but we picked it up and looked, and the bases were bloody. And so, I mean, they were really bloody. The The bull definitely dropped them in the last 24 hours, and in that short amount of time, uh, porcupines had got to them and started chewing on them already. So that was uh, that was kind of interesting, but we weren't able to match up the other side, whether the bull was still carrying it or we just, you know, didn't stumble upon it. Um, but did a lot of scouting, um, looking for some more elk sign and then really got in whitetail mode and started, uh, some, there was some really like thin spine ridges and, and points that we checked and we walked out on this one point and it was just this beautiful view of a whole bunch of different basins and everything else. And we sat there and ate lunch and we were kind of laughing to ourselves about how we can't, we're not the best at finding whitetail sheds. I said, Oh, if my dad would have been here, he would have found five or six by now. And as we said that Michael looks over and goes, there's one. And so we run over to it and like two feet away, I said, there's another one. I grab it and thought it was a match. Well, it was actually the same box left side from the year before. So there's two of the same uh, sheds, the same deer from two different years in the same bed out on this point. And then Michael turns around and finds another one from the year before that. So we had three different years of antlers off of one buck in one bed, which is, I've never seen that happen before. And frankly, it's probably just straight luck, but... 
either way, it was really cool to to do that. And those were the only sheds we found the rest of the day. Put on a little over ten miles and and covered some country. Found some turkey sign. It was it was a really really good day um, out in the Pennsylvania wild. So awesome awesome time there. But uh, so on this week's podcast, we have a couple gentlemen from the state of Washington coming on and some guys I met in the backcountry of Colorado in 2017, I believe. Great guys. I think it's going to be a real, real good podcast there. So, and before I get into the, the partners here, do not forget that Colorado's application deadline is April 2nd. So tomorrow will be the deadline and you have to, for, Elk, mule deer, sheep, goat, moose, uh, that application deadline is tomorrow. So 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It does not go till midnight this year. So take note of that. And so my strategy is going to be going to Colorado. I'm applying for points. I'm not going to try to draw a tag. I had originally thought about, you know, cashing in my couple points on a on elk tag, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to save them and, and uh, just apply for points. So that's uh, that's kind of my strategy there. And, and just uh, a note with Colorado this year, you are required to buy a hunting license that's non-refundable with your application this year, which is big. That's a, that's a big deal, which could, you know, help draw odds because people aren't just going to buy, you know, point for, uh, I can't remember what the price was. To, to buy points before, but you got, you got all the money back basically besides a small application fee. But now with the cheapest license you can buy is $81. And that's a small game license. You, no matter what you're paying $81 plus the price of the points. And so that's, that's going to keep some people out of it. And I mean, for, for you know, good reason, Colorado is an interesting state where to draw their, top units if you're just starting out putting in for points you'll probably never catch that because of what they call point creep with point creep being you know basically they're they're giving it out they're giving out the tags to the people with the most points well there's so many people in that top you know bracket there of points and you know say only one tag given out in certain units that they're just never they they just keep putting in every year and you'll you'll never catch up to that which is sad so you know a strategy that I'm kind of looking at is uh I I I'm not going to let my points get up over you know probably 5 would probably be the max that I'm going to that I'm going to build up before I cash them in on you know it uh, a good unit you know not there's not any great units I think you can put your money in some other states that uh have a better chance with, you know, with, uh, if you're going to build points, but a couple points, you know, I'm going to, like I said, going to keep building them up and mule deer. I really want to get into some high country mule deer and, uh, early season archery, but, uh, I haven't been able to find the time to do that yet. It's on my bucket list. Um, I, I just think I'd really enjoy that. And Colorado is one of those States that produces the best mule deer arguably in the in the country i mean if you look at the record books there in the top of that but even more so with just opportunity and the type of experience that i'm looking for with a high country hunt so that's kind of the scoop on colorado there like i said don't forget apply 
And with that being said, we'll get into uh, the partners here. So University of Elk Hunting, Elk 101, and Corey Jacobson, they have put together a course, an online course, that fully encompasses everything about elk hunting, from the planning phases, through the fitness, through the gear, everything else, to packing out your bowl. It goes into all of that. No matter what your experience level is, the University of Elk Hunting can really help you out. Been been doing that now. This will be my fourth year of buying that membership. Would highly recommend it to anybody. And Corey has offered a discount code to any of the East Meets West listeners. So if you enter code East Meets West at checkout, you'll save yourselves twenty dollars on uh, on the online course, which is an annual course. So check that out if you're looking at uh, planning an elk hunt and, and let me know your thoughts on it. Uh, another partner of the podcast would be Heather's Choice. So Heather has come out with a series of meals and snacks for adventuring, hunting, hiking, camping, and what I've used it a lot doing recently is traveling. So a healthy dehydrated option that's gluten-free, dairy-free, Great meals that that taste good, give you high calories and proteins and fats rather than filling it with a ton of carbs and and sugars. Uh, So your body performs really well. The the biggest thing that I've noticed from it is not being sore at the end of the day when I'm providing my body with the right amount of fuel. So what they're going to do for the listeners here, for you guys, they're going to give out Free shipping on any orders over $99. So if you enter code East Meets West at checkout, you get free shipping on any order over $99. If your total isn't over $99, please go to the still go to the website and use the link that I have under the partners page. Just click on that and that'll direct you to the website and it'll help help uh, track, you know, my myself and being able to show that you know that you heard about Heather's Choice or checked it out from the podcast. And lastly, Maven Optics. So Maven has created the highest quality glass on the market for a price that's half of their competitors. So up against like Swarovski, Leica, Zeiss, those top high-end binoculars, they've been able to bring it out at half the price from their business model of direct-to-consumer. The biggest thing with Mavens that I've liked is their low light clarity. And I have some videos that I've posted online of examples of using it when it's basically dark out as I'm glassing the high country and you look through the binoculars and it's it's still like you have 20 minutes left of light. So really cool to be able to check that out. And So Maven is offering a free gift that will change periodically on a monthly basis. The gift will change. Um, But if you enter the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT at checkout on any full price optics orders, you'll get a free gift with that. So check them out. Uh, They have stock lines and also fully customizable lines with uh, a variety of price ranges that will go anywhere from $200 on up. So there is something to fit your budget in there and full lifetime, no fault warranty. All right. With that being said, let's get into the podcast here. And I I think you guys will really enjoy this one. Some good information on spring bear hunting and just adventure hunting as as we know it, as well as these guys coming out with uh, a pretty awesome 
book here. So these the guys. Uh, I, I guess the the last thing I'll say here is team bad decision. It, their book is is releasing here, and they're going to offer a couple different um, free eBooks out to the listeners here. So we're going to be so pay attention to the the social media platform for the one way of winning. So if you follow East Meets West Hunt and Team Bad Decision, they will will be posting how do you can win that. And also the other way that you can win an ebook is any purchase in the month of April of East Meets West Apparel uh from my website is entered to win and I'll be giving that out at the end of the month. So all right guys, uh enjoy the podcast here and as always, let me know what you think of it, good or bad. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And I have two guys on the line here coming from the completely opposite side of the United States over in the, the beautiful state of, of Washington. So Travis Greenwood and Scott Daniels, what's going on, gentlemen? Hey, Bo, how's it going? Oh, pretty How you good. Doing, Bo? Uh, doing doing well, Scott. Doing well. It's uh, it's just you know, it's a little after nine here, uh, where where I'm at, and you guys are just getting home from work, right? Yep, uh, six thirty or so. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited to have both of you on the the podcast here. Is after we get into the introductions here, we'll kind of go into the story of how how we've met, how we met and, uh, everything, which is, is a pretty interesting story at that. And the fact that we were able to, you know, stay in contact with each other afterwards is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's, let's start off Travis with you, if you don't mind going into, you know, who you are and a little bit of your background here. Awesome. Uh, like I said, thanks for having us on Bo. Yeah, no, no problem. So I am a married mother or married uh, father of two boys who keep me pretty busy, and uh, I started hunting when I was pretty little. I, I got into did a lot of waterfowl and upland hunting with my dad growing up, and we didn't really do a lot of big game hunting as a family. And so after I went to college, I had a couple of buddies who were pretty into it, and it, it was kind of a big attraction for me. And so I started. Uh, joining one of the, one of their hunting camps and ended up killing my first bull and killing a buck, and after that um, started kind of getting a desire to hunt further from the road, kind of hunting the alpine, and that's when Scott and I ended up meeting in 2012, and from there it's kind of that's kind of how our story came to be, and and we've been hunting together and and traveling all over the west ever since. Nice, nice. What about you, Scott? Well, I'm a I'm a new dad. Um, my daughter's only eight months old now, so that's been it's been a it's been a rough year as far as hunting is concerned, but it's been rewarding, um, like most things that are challenging. Uh, I'm a diesel mechanic for work, so the company that I work for, luckily, um, all of them are hunters. All my bosses, so they have allowed me a lot of time. So having worked there is when it really started to give me the time to get out and hunt more and explore. Uh, I didn't grow up in a hunting family, so it's something I kind of took to on my own, and it's been a long road. I never really had anyone to show me, um, so everything was 
lots of trial and lots of error to finally start to get anything right. Then Travis and I met, and that's when my backcountry journey really started. You know, the two of us just kind of got into it. It just really spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> yeah, that that's funny. So how did how did you two meet? I guess online. Oh, really? <laughs> how all how all good relationships start, right? Date, right? <laughs> Would you swipe right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, we uh, we met on on the Rockside forum. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, there was there was a bunch of people that we got together for like some workouts and hikes and stuff like that, and just kind of from there, everybody else kind of had a hunting partner, and Scott and I were both flailing around blindly, and so we decided to flail around blindly together. Oh, that's interesting. That's I, I honestly just, uh, without knowing any background, just thought that you guys were like childhood friends and grew up together. No, no, we met in 2012. Huh. Well, that's interesting. And then you guys came to Rock Slide from just uh, wanting to start, you know, broadening your horizon with hunting? Yeah, we'd both kind of been delving into lots of gear research and and trying to find out how to find uh, good areas, you know, like what to what to look for when targeting elk and deer in the wilderness and gear reviews and, you know, just general banter and just just learning, you know, in the early days, Rockslide was a fantastic resource. I mean, not that it's not now, but it was just it was a small group compared to now. And a lot of the people that were really active on it were just so full of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't come to Rockslide until probably 2015-ish. So I was a little behind the game, which I still learned a whole lot from that forum. But uh, f- from what I hear, I've heard from a couple other people the, a similar story to what, what you guys said is it was, you know, the resource, you know, you know six, eight years ago. But yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's awesome that that you know works out, and and I'm sure that's a gamble. Um, you know, getting into especially uh, like you know backpack style backcountry hunts together with someone that you really don't know because it's uh, definitely something that's not for the the faint of heart when it comes to you know you you, you got to be able to to get along with each other and you kind of see everyone's true colors once you once you get back in there for a few days. You know, it's funny. We've run into that on on both sides of the coin, where you you know you experience hardship with someone in the backcountry, and either kind of galvanizes you or or just totally drives you apart. And we've been on both sides of that. Not not the two of us, but in having brought along other people, um, we've always been pretty open to inviting people or anyone that's interested. Like, yeah, sure, let's you know let's put a trip together, and we'll we'll try and get you lined out and help any way we can and you know, there's a couple people that everything just meshed up and it's like they were just part of the team. And by the time you come off the mountain, you're like family. And then there's other people that, you know, right away, either they don't want to come back because it just wasn't their cup of tea or, or maybe you don't want to give them a return invite because they just didn't have mindset for it or just drama or insert, you know, number of reasons that you encounter on the mountain. Yeah, 
No, that's it's it's really interesting. I mean, I I remember even my first trip going out and with my my brother and my cousin. I think I was that guy that you didn't want to go with as far as like, you know, it was such an eye opener for me. You know, I would get, you know, after four or five days, I got to the point where I'd caught myself just being snippy and just being, you know, just straight asshole at times. And uh, it took me, it took me realizing that to really kind of change it. And the more I got comfortable with everything and, and, and getting to know, you know, my boundaries and how I am when I push them, then I'd like to think that, you know, I'm not that, that person anymore. So I've, I've been invited back with people more than once. So I guess I didn't do a a terrible job, but (laughs) you know, know, Scott and I have spent uh, a couple of different trips over 30 hours in a tent together, weathering out storms. And so it, it's important to be able to, you know, to, to be able to live in proximity with other people for a long time in the backcountry because, you know, like, like you said, it can, it can galvanize you and break you apart and, and nobody wants to be sitting inside of a, a tent while there's thunder, lightning, hail and snow and, and not be happy with your situation. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. That's definitely fair to, to say there. So I kind of want to get into here how we met. And I was just telling the story to someone else earlier today when I was talking about having having you guys on the podcast here. So we uh, happened to hunt the same area in Colorado, and it was my second year out there. I was I was down in this uh, I call it a valley or a little you know sub drainage I guess coming off there, and I was uh, down in there bugling, just kind of walking through. And I'd got into elk the day before in this one spot and I got down in there and I heard a bugle way up behind me. And I'm like, do you think that's a person, you know, on the trail? And I'm like, I don't know. That sounds like it, it could be someone on that, that could be an elk on that side hill. So I started working my way back up, trying to keep the wind in my favor, doing all this. I'm bugling back, you know, the, the elk, uh, you know, suppose of elk was, you know, bugling back at me and we're just, you know, just cutting each other off and, and, <laughs> and really sounded like this bull was fired up. I'm out of breath, you know, running back up the mountain, trying to, you know, get up to this bull. And I get in a position where I'm like, I should be able to see him. Like he's got to be at 40 yards or so. And then I see a flash of a, a hat brim. And I realized that it's, you know, another hunter. And then the calling was coming from behind it. And so then I waved my arms and, you know, walked over and it ended up being Scott. And then you, I think, I think it was you, Travis, that was up behind doing the calling, if I remember right. Yeah, I was, I was up behind calling and I remember being so mad at Scott because I thought, I thought he couldn't see the book. Cause I could, I could hear you walking down below and I couldn't see you yet. And Scott was kind of standing there, like, because he had already made eye contact with you, obviously. And, and I remember just waving my arms at him, going, Don't you hear that? He's coming right up the trail. Get ready, get ready. And, uh, and apparently, uh, apparently, my elk was not quite as big as I anticipated. No, no. <laughs> it was an immature bull, that's for sure. <laughs> he was so mad. If he would have had his way, you would have took a broadhead. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you didn't, Scott. <laughs> Oh man, that was it was so funny though. I walked up to you guys and I was like I was so pissed at the same time, but it uh it was funny and then we just you know, as soon as we started talking there and then it got into didn't take too long to get into gear talk and everything else and 
and I could tell Scott, you for one was are, are really into uh, testing different gear and everything when you were asking me about my pack and and uh, we just started you know bullshitting there for a little while and. It was funny though because we both had said we had never seen another hunter in that that little valley there, and it's it wasn't a spot that was ridiculously far from the road or anything. It was just kind of tough to get down into and just super thick with blowdowns and and dark timber and everything. But it uh, definitely held elk, and we still think that there might have been an actual bull in there too because we heard uh, another bugle, but never ended up you know finding out if it was or not. Yeah, but yeah, and I don't think yeah, and that was the trip. Um, we we really struggled that that year in particular in, in that area, and we did not we didn't see a bull till day six. Was that Scott? Yeah, and that was the only elk we saw the the whole trip. And unfortunately, he was a he was a really nice bull, and the the wind just caught us for, uh, wrong. And um, it was it was when the wind I think the wind was blowing like thirty or forty miles an hour, and and. We, we couldn't really identify his bugle. We were we were thinking, you know, is that an elk over that hill? Is that an elk? And we poked our head up, and then the wind switched around, and, and that was that. But that was the only elk we saw that in that whole trip, which was very abnormal for that area. He was he was number two bull that we've ever seen in there, too. Jeez. Yeah, yeah second biggest, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's probably the bull that I screwed up on twice in, in that, that valley I ran into you guys the two days before that. Or actually, I think maybe even that morning that I ran into you was my second encounter. It was just, just, it was a giant six by six for my, again, from my perspective, it was big. And I ran into him right where I ran into you guys the, the day before. All he would do is chuckle. And um, then I ended up, the, the cows he was with spotted me and they took off. And then the next morning, I caught him. It was just getting daylight and he was heading back up to bed. And I just shadowed him shadowed the herd as he was you know bugling and caught up and he he went through one of my uh supposed shooting lanes i guess if you want to call it uh across one of the the avalanche shoots at about i don't know 30 yards or so and that when he hit the little window i had i i wasn't ready i didn't think that he was going to go the route that he did if he would have followed the cows i had the cows perfect at 25 yards and the wide open but of course you know they don't always do the same thing but they actually you know the only thing you can count on elk to do is do exactly opposite of what they should do yeah yeah that's that's for sure and i i just know that that bull is super impressive i mean he and the thing is, he never would actually bugle. He just kept chuckling. It was it was really cool to to see that. And when I do it back at him, he would just get so fired up. And and my calling is uh, very subpar at best. But when it it seemed like whenever you mimic what they were doing like that, and if they're in the right mood, they get they get pretty you know angry with you back. But. Yeah, so that that bull, um, he was he was super impressive, but I don't know. I probably kicked him out of the valley at that point, and then ended up running into a a five by five, and and where you know, I I think we, I don't know if I, we saw you again, you guys again walking through there. If it was my dad that said he saw you, but where the a whole bunch of wallows were there, um, on the bottom of those cliffs, they, uh, they I was just sitting there one one uh, afternoon. 
I just took a break and I was going to take a nap there and just sit there. I'm like, ah, I always saw on TV, you sit by a wallow and elk comes in, never thought that would actually be the case and had a five by five down there throwing mud all over himself. And I called him right into to 12 yards, but I, I thought he was trying to go uh, circle me for my wind. And I moved when I shouldn't have. And I put myself in a position where I wasn't set up ideal. And when he came in, he was, he stopped looking right where I was before and he was behind some, some limbs and I couldn't get a shot and he just kind of spooked and, and took off. But yeah, I had, I had a lot of action there the days leading up to meeting you guys, but you guys didn't come in until that was your first day in, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. So that, those, those meadows and wallows that you're talking about, our very first year hunting in there was like 2014. And we, we hunted the, like the very first days of the season. So we, we hiked in the day before the season. We were way, way up on the top of the main ridge up there at like 12.5. Mm-hmm. And we were watching all the way down in those meadows. And there was, there was a handful of elk down there uh, like wallowing and bedded and, you know, some, some, some smaller bulls just kind of sparring around and bugling and we just had to sit there all afternoon and all night watching those elk. Really? Yeah. It was, it was the day before season, so there's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we couldn't do anything. So oh, was, gotcha. Yeah, we had to wait yeah. for opening day the next day. That's That small lake that's to the north of the uh, the inbound trail, you know the one I'm talking about? Yep, I do. This That same trip, we saw, what, do you, what was it, about six, eight cows splash around in that thing, Trav? Totally, yep. Yep, just right in the middle of the lake where where you can camp down there. <laughs> and and is that the is that the popular lake that has the the name that people would recognize if we would say it, but we're not going to. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's yep. The one, yeah. Yep. That's uh that's the one where the first year I was in there in 2016, we had um uh, two bulls standing right on the side of it with a few cows of the lake drinking out of it. And we just walked up to the lake like, oh, this is beautiful. I've seen this in photos before. And I look over and there they are on the other side of the lake. I was like, how, you know, that in the hell, this is a popular camping spot for hikers, hunters, everything else. And they're just chilling there by the lake. <laughs> and then we yeah, ended up, just... we didn't spook them that bad and, and got on them. And they were, you know, bugling back and forth. But again, not knowing how to set up on them the first year like that, I just you know just kind of screwed it up. But there's just a lot of elk in Colorado. I mean, period. Yeah, I mean, there, there's just a lot of elk there. Yeah, a lot of hunters too. A lot of hunters. <laughs> and it it seemed to change from 2016 to 17 when I ran you guys ran into so many other hunters and then again i went back to the same spot here just 2018 and i went out earlier and i was talking to you guys and and you guys just gave me some amazing you know information on you know hunting that early on you know i got in there i think august 31st and you know you're like oh man the high country you know it was filled with elk we went that time of year everything else and they just uh the dry summer that they had, the elk weren't up there. Every, all the feed in the high country was brown instead of being green. And it, you just walk and it felt like it was like it could catch on fire at any moment. Cause it just crunched, you know, beneath you and the elk just weren't in there. And it's, it's amazing, you know, year to year, how things like that can change. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was, but anyways, that was, that was just a cool uh, story that, we, you know, I met you guys and, and, I don't even think like, I don't think 
we really even exchanged last names or anything. And then I got a, and I was trying to, I was like, man, I wish I would have got their guys full names. I want to look them up on Facebook. And then all of a sudden I got a friend request from Scott and I recognized them. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. He, he was able to find me on here and, and, uh, you know, we've stayed connected ever since really. I think Travis will vouch for me. My stalker skills are strong. You know, if you didn't say that, I was going to make that comment. Yeah, they're 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 pretty uh, they're pretty extensive. <laughs> that, that's impressive. <laughs> I'm glad you did because it, it's cool to to be able to talk after that. And like I said, you guys gave me some amazing intel. You know, going into you know this year and everything, and and uh, definitely definitely helpful. And it's cool to you know to be able to help each other out as far as that goes. Oh, definitely. But yeah, so that's. That was, uh, like I said, that was pretty cool to get to meet you guys that way. And when I met you and as we were sitting there just kind of BSing on the side of the mountain, uh, you guys were telling me about, you're like, if you ever want a, a really cool hunt, you need to come to Washington in the spring to hunt bears. And that's kind of your guys' forte, isn't it? Yeah, I I you know Scott will will say it's it's not his favorite hunt because hunting elk in the in the rut is pretty cool, um, but it's it's my favorite hunt. I love hunting spring bear in Washington is a little different than a lot of the, like the other western states. Like Idaho has got over the counter, and Washington's all draw, and so sometimes it can be a little difficult for out of state guys to come uh, do a spring hunt in Washington just because you've got to pay the out of state bear tags every year, and it's it's not a guarantee. Though you could come back in the fall and, and hunt bear, which is which is just as fun. But yeah, yeah, spring hunting is is, is a pretty, it's a pretty fun hunt. Yeah. And now, despite me not owning up to it being my favorite hunt, and this is something that the book project really made me reflect on, is that I've taken years off from hunting mule deer or hunting elk to focus on things, or just because. You know, an out of state elk hunt wasn't feasible that year, or or. And, any number of excuses you want to say. I, I hunted spring bear for the first time in 2012. And even the couple of years that I haven't drawn a tag or at least known someone that's had a tag, I have spent time in the woods chasing bears with a camera. I have not missed a spring in the woods since my very first year in 2012. Yep. Okay. And so I'm actually looking at a picture right now that Travis had sent me of the country that you guys are hunting bear in. I have it just pulled up my computer screen here. It looks like some extremely rugged country and beautiful country at that. Yeah, that that would be an understatement. Um, I, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I it, it is it is rough country, and and people can be pretty intimidated. Um, and I, I've I've watched people pull up to the trailhead with tags, look in, and turn around and go home. Just because it's it's huge sweeping canyons and it's big tough country that not a lot of people spend time in. Um, it's really hard on gear. We always, I mean, between the two of us, we lose at least one piece of gear to wear and tear every time we go in there, and that's not an exaggeration. Whether it's the mice or the rocks or whatever, it it just gets it just beats you up in there. But it's it's pretty awesome for those exact same reasons too. Gotcha. What uh, what time of year? I, I know it's in the spring, but when does your bear season typically open? April fifteenth every year. Gotcha. So that's that's coming up here in a little over little over a month, month and a half here. Yeah, we're about probably two or three weeks out from draw results. Gotcha. 
and and that's something yeah travis has been saying he's like man uh he goes you you need to put it on your schedule here or at least have you know keep it open to you know potentially draw one of these bear tags some year he goes it's just he goes it's a blast to get to do that i feel like it's the only hunt that we could really offer you that would be enjoyable and and we're kind of skilled at so that we could come there and kill large whitetails at some point. Hey, you're you're always welcome to come out and and uh, and you know hunt whitetails with me. It's it's uh, I I can't say I'm gonna be able to guarantee anything, but uh, we we could have a good time doing it and and uh, some different country in the 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 Appalachian region. You know, super thick. You're not. Uh, you know, most of the time seeing further than 80 yards away from you, but it can be, it can be a really cool, really cool style hunt. We can, you know, we can come out, you guys can come out, we could do a backpack hunt. We can, you know, camp at a, at a trail somewhere. We can camp in a cabin. We can do whatever, whatever the hell we want, really. Cabin sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can, we have a fridge there. We can put some, some beer and everything else in it and, and <laughs> make it nice and easy. <laughs> we hunt hard the rest of the year we we're we're due one of those hunts right <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny like when I, I go to work and and um i was talking to my boss one day and he's like you know you, you do a lot of these hunts that are are really difficult have you ever thought about you know just doing something that's you know enjoyable like a hog hunt or or something else and i think he was referring to the fact that i always come back with a story that i didn't kill anything but i i was like you know what that, that would be nice maybe i should start adding one of them into to my hunts during the year you know the the the, the thing about spring that's that's really cool is it's the area that we hunt is almost untouched by you know by traffic and human influence. Um, this last year, we didn't have a tag, but we went anyway just because we'd already booked some time off work. So we cut it a couple days short. But we went for, where we go, for four days, Trav? Yeah, four days. So we we were camped near a big, uh, like, three-creek confluence. And you, there's, there's a spot where you have to cross that anyone that comes that far up the drainage has to walk through. So we tamped all the mud down nice and smooth, when we finally came back to it, there were still no boot tracks in it. Really? Yeah. That was after we had been gone for 14, 15 minutes. Well, it was it was the next morning, right? We, we did it in the morning. We, we were gone all the way down, came back in the dark. And then the next morning, we had got up and nobody had come through in, in the previous 24 hours. Right. And so, yeah. so we had the, that whole, I mean, probably 10 square miles of country to ourselves. That's awesome. During 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 season, and we didn't have a tag, and so it's just there's just not that many tags, and over fifty percent of them go unhunted, actually, uh, for know. various reasons. So or unreported, unreported. That that just sounds like a you know a, a sweet hunt to be able to do, and the, and the fact that, and again, that it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. I mean, spring bear hunting is is uh, becoming more popular, and you see. You know, people, though, the the guys that are, I guess, working in the industry, if you want to say it, they're, you know, doing different hunts in Montana and Idaho and and places like that. But you, you never really hear Washington come up so much. And, I mean, I, I guess uh, I, you can probably contribute a lot of that to the drawing tags, as, as you were saying. 
Yeah, I, I think most people focus. You hear a lot of guys hunting spring bears in Idaho, and we're actually looking at, at planning a spring bear hunt in Idaho just, just so we can continue to hunt when we don't drop because we want to have an opportunity, obviously, to harvest an animal, and, and that, that doesn't happen every year in Washington. So mm-hmm. as far as drawing, I mean. but Yeah. So if you can kind of describe the, the country that, that you have in Washington, and is, is that close to where you guys live at? Yeah, it, it's closer to where, where I live as opposed to Scott. So Washington, a lot of people, especially probably back east, don't know. They think about Washington and they think that we are all, you know, it's the rainy state. and It's the evergreens and whatnot. But actually half of our state and half of Oregon is all desert. And so it's kind of 50-50 split where you've got the evergreens on the coast and the whole eastern half of, of Oregon and Washington are all desert. And um, so you can get some different types of spring hunts actually in Washington where you've got really thick timber versus really open hillsides versus uh, clear cuts. And so there's kind of a, uh, a variety of different types of spring hunts that you can get into out here. I gotcha. And so like as far as the most of the places like you would hunt bears, is it more of like big timber like you're saying like uh, – you know, a lot of fir trees, things like that. Are you hunting, you know, burned areas, logging cuts, any, any specifics kind of there? So, um, and I'm sure Scott can speak to this as well, because we've hunted some different areas for, for spring. The, the area that we t- typically tend to go is a lot of big sweeping canyons where you've got a mixture of timber and, and open grass hillsides and whatnot. Um, and a lot of those bears are, they're just, they don't really do a full hibernation in Washington. They just kind of, um, get lethargic for for six weeks to a uh, to two months or so, and when they come out, they're they're just cruising for for grass and for onions and for you know elk calves and whatnot. And so a lot of our our strategy is 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 kind of boring to be honest. It's it's get really high and and look for bears, and and so we try to give ourselves a vantage point where we can see upwards of two to two and a half miles and and try to spot them and move into a position to to have a shot. Gotcha. Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so my first couple of years, I hunted uh, the western part of the state, and it's it's a challenging hunt. Um, I started putting in there. I'd never hunted spring bear before, and there was a, the place I was living at the time, there was an open unit that was like four miles from my house. Um, so the first year, I ate my tag, but I learned a lot. Um, and then the next year, we filled... I drew on a partner tag and we filled two tags in a unit that is about a two and a half percent success rate. So I feel like I learned a lot. And then that was, that was about enough of that for me. And we decided to start hunting the East side of the state. Um, hunting in the logging country is tough. You either got to just drive around and cover a lot of ground and check clear cuts, um, or drive around or walk around until you get into thick sign and then slowly start creeping around overgrown old grades, um, grassy roads, stuff like that. And so really you're doing a lot of walking, hoping to see an animal as opposed to looking over a lot of country and seeing animals and then deciding how to make a move. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, uh, I mean, that sounds like you, you were kind of, uh, Travis was kind of describing it as, you know, 
somewhat boring to you know to talk about as far as just getting up high and glassing but i think that's such a cool component up to it and i think that's what makes me want to spring bear hunt i've never done you know just strict glassing you know spot and stock style and i feel like that if if i could picture a bear hunt that's what you know what my picture perfect bear hunt would be i think that uh i think it was i can't remember who it I think it was an Alaskan guide, anyway, that said bear hunting is like 90% boredom and like 10% adrenaline overload. Yeah. And, and I, I, think that's, I think that's pretty accurate because, you know, you, you climb up, you know, you got to walk a bunch of miles, you climb up high. It's, in the spring, especially, the weather's really dicey. That's what's kind of nice about uh, summer bear hunting or early fall bear hunting for us. Our season is usually open in August and early September, and... That's like shorts and t-shirt hunting, whereas like spring is you got to bring a tarp to shelter under because it's going to snow and rain and do all sorts of things on you all day long. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, I think during Scott's uh, got to draw on a spring tag in 2017 and we started the day. It was like 64 degrees and we were in t-shirts and by two o'clock or one o'clock or so it was uh we had every piece of clothing we had on we were sheltered up underneath the tarp and we had an inch of snow on the ground <laughs> that's crazy uh, it could change fast like, like you were saying hard on the gear <laughs> that's not that's not atypical either that's the norm the only thing you can count on for that weather is for it to be all over the board four seasons in one day <laughs> but it's cool i mean we we typically i think if we were to, to go on a four-day trip it's not uncommon to to see six to twelve bears in in four days and and i think that that's that's being pretty generous i think it would not be uncommon to see more um especially in in some as we've gotten better at hunting uh this area we're we just see more and more bears every time we go out i mean scott had alluded to we didn't have a tag last year and we still went in and we were you know, drinking all night, sleeping in, napping on the side of the mountain, and not really hunting that hard. And we still saw three really nice bears in two and a half days, basically. And uh, they're, they're just they're just everywhere if you get out and look for them. And it's it's a lot of bears are a, are a cool animal to to get out and hunt and to watch. They just they're just neat. So you get to watch bears just be bears. You know, especially in this area where you can, I mean, you can glass bears 2,000 yards away and just, just put them in the glass and just sit there and just watch them just do their thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny, like, so I've grown up around bears my whole life. I mean, Pennsylvania has some of the biggest black bears in the country, but we don't see them very often. I mean, I spend a lot of time in the woods and I rarely see bears, even though there's a lot of them. My trail cameras show that there's a ton of them from uh, them breaking lenses out and knocking them off the trees and everything else. But we don't have that ability to, to glass and see, you know, far distances and, and everything else. And I, and so I don't get to see bears be bears except for, you know, when I was in Colorado the year that ran into you guys, I think I can't remember the exact number. I want to say it was some somewhere around 17 bears that we saw, and it could have been it could have been you know some of them were repeats, but 17 different sightings, I guess, of bear, and it was so cool. Just and I didn't have a bear tag at the time, which 
got one the next year and spent 14 days there and never saw a bear. But <laughs> nonetheless, it, uh, it was so cool just to watch them do their thing and just watching them feeding and just kind of that, how they, you know, like you said, Scott, bears being bears, you know. Well, and I think, Bo, you've got about five hours left to buy your spring bear application for Washington if you want still. So <laughs> it closes uh, tonight at closes tonight at midnight, I think. So <laughs> does it really? Yeah. Oh, man. How much is it? How much does like a bear tag or to apply? How much does that cost? I think for what is it about two and a half, Scott? I think it's more than that. All of our out-of-state tags are really expensive. Yeah, it's it's hard because you can't as a as a non-resident you can't just apply uh, for the for the tag and then buy the tag if you draw. You've got to buy a tag in order to apply, and so that that turns off a lot of out-of-state residents to Washington. Gotcha. That that makes sense on why. And is that is it that way across the board with other species as well? Except for. The oil tags, uh, they're moose, goat, and sheep, which uh, there's a lot of, you know, that, that causes a lot of uh, irritation, I think, among residents be- uh, on that because then it inflates our the once-in-a-lifetime tags. But it, it's not like that in other states. I mean, other states allow you to apply across the board. Colorado, I think Colorado actually just changed their rules this year, if I, if I read that correctly, where we don't have to front the money anymore like we used to. Is that is that true? Yeah, you... Um... There was just another change. Last year, they changed it where you didn't need to front the money. Like, I applied for sheep and and, uh, goat and uh, moose for $3 a piece, and now they changed those application fees up. I'm not going to speak on the exact numbers, but they're a decent amount more. But I still don't think you need to front the license tag anymore, which inflates the numbers. I've seen it already with... There's a, I've been putting points for elk in, in Colorado and there's this one unit I've had, you know, that I've been wanting to hunt. And I just realized that even this year getting an additional point, um, still not even a year closer to drawn, it made it, it inflated, you know, the point creep there a little bit, but. Yeah. That's a, that's a big topic all in itself talking about the point creep and, yeah. and, and I don't know if there's a good solution to it, to be honest with you, but no, there's, there's, just, there's too many hunters and not enough tags. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a tough system, uh, tough to get it right. Yeah, no, that's for sure. But so I got, I got five hours to apply basically. So in the meantime, <laughs> well, you guys have been talking, I, I just looked for you. It's $222 for an out of state, a non-resident bear license. And then the special hunt permit application is one hundred and ten dollars. Looking at three thirty then for a bear. So and and not and if this gives away the area you're in, don't don't answer it. But what are the odds typically of drawing one of these special tags? Even even as an in-state, you know, as a resident, um, you're looking anywhere between two and five years. Really. That's pretty common. I mean, most of the of the spring tags. There's very few spring tags in Washington. And in fact, I don't think any of them really that I would consider a guaranteed draw every year. There's a couple on the coast, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I gotcha. So like, it's is it? It's all random draw. I'm guessing you're not like building points or anything. No, you build points. Yeah. Oh okay. Yep. Yeah. So uh, the, way the point system works in Washington. I don't know if it's similar across the board, but basically you have your points. And they square that number, and that's the number of, of lottery tickets you have in the hat or whatever. Okay, so somewhat like what Montana does. Yeah, real similar. Yep. Okay, 
Gotcha. Which is kind of a weird, weird system. I, I wish all the states would kind of just make it so we could, you know, figure it out. I, I feel like every year as I'm trying to broaden my horizon with putting in for tags and building points in places, it takes so much freaking research to, <laughs> to try to, you know, figure out each state and their system and, and everything there. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the midst of trying to figure out Utah right now. And it's, uh, it's you know real fun yep i will uh well maybe we'll have to get together and compare notes because i will be putting in for my tags on thursday this week for you are you so 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 to contrast this um if you wanted to hunt spring bear in idaho especially if you wanted to target one of the areas that's reduced reduced cost non-resident tags you're you're all in over the counter for 180 bucks Oh man, that's not bad. Do that every year, yep, and do that every year. Yeah, that's not bad at all. That's definitely manageable. And again, it, get, it comes down to whether you have the time at that point, and if you want to, you know, allocate your time from vacation standpoint or you know whatever else to to be able to do that. Exactly. And do you guys? I mean, you're both, you know, working full time jobs and everything. Do you do you have pretty generous vacation to be able to take for for hunting? Uh, you know, I, I do. My vacation is pretty generous. Uh, I will say though that my wife and kids do like to allocate some of that for their own, uh, <laughs> for their own adventures. And, 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 and that's important too. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we take a couple of family trips every year and, and so I usually allocate two week long trips and then, uh, try to get at least two or three weekend long weekend trips. I work four tens, so I can usually leave on a Thursday night and, and hunt till Sunday. And, and we've been pretty successful on, on fall bear doing that actually. Huh? That's, that's nice. The four ten schedule. That's something that I've always wanted to, <laughs> wanted to work that, that would really help out, you know, but, um, what about you, Scott? I know you had said earlier that you're where you work at, uh, everyone, you know, is a, a hunter and everything. Do you, do you have like a set amount of days you can take or is this something that's kind of flexible? Yeah. So I get, I get four weeks paid vacation. Um, and then occasionally, especially during things like, like August bear season, I'll, I'll do a, a couple, a couple sets of four tens here and there. Not as a, not as a, you know, year long habit, but to make trips work, I'll do that. Um, I've done, back-to-back four tens to give me a four-day weekend but i'm i'm waiting for the time i draw a goat tag or a sheep tag and you know and all the guys that i work for will understand that i'm taking a month off straight <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't blame you there and you know, that's it's, it's, a, it's an important it's topic crazy. you know Okay. Um, Sorry for interrupting. Keep going, Scott. Oh, so, no, so the, it's actually kind of crazy. That, so I work. It's a, a family that I work for. There's there's three brothers that are all kind of in charge of the place, and all three of them have killed Washington moose. Really? Yeah. Man, that sounds like uh, it'd be good to be in with that family. They got some luck on their side. It, you know, I think that that maybe they know somebody in the game department or something. <laughs> no, not really. But. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and um, just to, to go, so the, and the reason why I asked those questions, that, you know, I mean, with the listeners of the podcast and, and, you know, all of us here on this conversation, you know, we, you know, are regular guys that, you know, work full-time jobs and everything. And, and 
and you guys have more responsibility than I do is I don't have, you know, kids or anything else to, uh, or a wife to, to make happy from that standpoint. But it is something that, you know, you have to budget time aside just as important, if not more than the money standpoint, you know, to, to be able to do that. So yeah, we, in my house, it, it took us a couple of years. This will be my 10th. We've been married for 10 years this summer. And it, it's a ritual every year. I, I get on my wife about December 20th or so to get the, the next year's calendar up because that's how, that's how basically I, I get all my hunt scheduled is if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. And so, it, you know, that becomes a joke uh, between my wife and I as we go. And every time a hunt comes up, she, she claims that that was never on the calendar before. And, and so I try to sneak weekends on and whatnot, but <laughs> that's funny. And it's, you know, Scott, you had said something, um, just to circle back a little bit with the, the bear hunting, you were saying about, uh, you know, 90% of it is boring, you know, kind of sitting there and 10%, you know, adrenaline overload. I want to say I heard something really similar on Donnie Vincent's recent film, The Other Side. He had said something about that and with his, that's a, you know, I don't know if you guys have watched it, but a really, really good, uh, bear hunting film from that standpoint. And then again, this is coming from a guy that has only hunted bears in Pennsylvania, but just, it was really cool to see that perspective and, and Donnie's, you know, an amazing storyteller. So that helps. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I always like his work. I think he does a really, really good job. Um, and it's, it's, it's on, it's been on my list. I just haven't gotten to check it out yet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would highly recommend it. It's, it's, and again, to expect, you know, that from him, it's completely different than any other hunting film, you know, I've ever watched. And, um, it's, it's just a really, really cool way of, you know, highlighting bear hunting and, and, you know, why, why a lot of people do it and, and, uh, you know, the reasoning behind that. So when, so you guys, it was spring bear hunting kind of, I, I know, uh, Travis, you touched on a little bit, you'd you know, started with some other after waterfowl and stuff started into some big game hunting, but was bear hunting kind of your gateway drug, if you want to say to wanting to do different, you know, backpack style hunts and start to travel. Um, you know, the, the first hunt that Scott and I ever went on was a bear hunt and we were successful 10 minutes into our hunt. And, and, and we, we did not realize how spoiled we were, but it it definitely was the, and I don't know if it was necessarily the bear that that was the gateway drug. It, it was really just being in the Alpine and being in a wilderness area that that is kind of what it's just kind of what we what we like to do. And it's not that there's more animals in you know the farther you the, you don't have to go 15 miles into the wilderness in order to find more animals. Uh, but but we like to do stuff like that, and that's just kind of what drives us. And and more so than the animals that we pursue, it's it's kind of just uh, the adventures that we take. I gotcha. When when you guys Colorado and uh, you said 2014 was that your first like out of state you know a backcountry style hunt? Yeah, what it was our first out of state hunt in general. Yeah, gotcha. So you just so kind of explain that trip to me, and you know from the perspective of when when you went into this, and you know how how were you you know thinking of it and, and planning, and what made you decide to do it, to the fact of you know what did you learn from it? Just kind of describe that experience, I guess. 
Well, I would say that despite living here in Washington, where we have over-the-counter elk hunting opportunities uh, every year, the elk hunting here is not great. Um, I think I think the stat is something like a guy kills an elk once every ten years, on average, in Washington, and that's just that's not that's not real great. That's not real acceptable for me to be spending my time. Um, you know, I can camp all year long, but during elk season, I prefer to at least be blowing opportunities rather than just wandering around the woods and not seeing any legal animals. So we started looking at Colorado just because there's over the counter opportunities for non-residents and the fact that there's a lot of elk there. Yeah. No, that's uh that's for sure. I mean, what Colorado has the most elk in the in the country as far as in that in the state. I I think it's even more it, it's more drastic than that. I think I looked the stats up one time and I think that it's Colorado has more elk in it than Oregon, Washington, and I want to say Idaho combined. It's it's something crazy like that. I mean, there's just a lot of elk in Colorado. But don't quote me on that, you know. But I, I'm, it was something <laughs> something like that drastic, where it was a couple different states that they had more elk than combined. I remember looking at the stats, um, the the published numbers for the mountain range that we all hunt there in Colorado, um, and it was it was almost it was almost equal to it was like 10,000 elk shy of the estimated amount of elk in all of Washington really <laughs> yeah i mean for that for that national forest or that mountain range or however it was that they were calculating it so uh, just a small portion that was you know pertinent to us yeah um, just massive so we decided to do a scouting trip and so we did a bonsai flight into denver borrowed a car and drove up um, you know, before this, we did a bunch of bunch of Google scouting. We got some some intel from some local people and tried to kind of almost disprove it by by our own scouting and uh, and 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 kind of you know research and so forth. And we couldn't. We we're like, this area looks solid, so we flew out there and checked it out. Um, four day trip, you know, pretty low budget. You know, living in a tent, uh, eating Mountain House. And we ended up seeing like 250 elk. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a pretty that was a pretty magical experience. I would I would say for us, uh, like Scott said, coming from Washington, where you just don't see that kind of numbers in an over the counter unit uh, a couple weeks before season. I mean, we were out there in the first week of August, I think, and so we were it was three and a half weeks before the season opened, and it was. We were pretty excited to say the least after that trip, but yeah, I would say that your I, I, your anticipation had to been at an all time high. Yeah, and we didn't even know what we were doing. I mean, we were just stumbling around aimlessly and 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 really learning as we went. And and you know, I think and Scott, you know, we we had talked today a little bit in preparation for tonight. And Scott had, I'll, you know, I'll let you, I'll lead in for you, Scott here, but. Um, one of Scott's biggest things that, that he always preaches when, especially when guys talk about, you know, how do you go, how do you plan a hunt out of state? What do you, how do you do it? But you just got to go. You just have to, you know, don't make excuses. Don't, don't talk yourself out of it. Pick an area on the map and just go because it's, it's worth it. I mean, it takes years to learn an area and, and be successful. And, and it's in, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, you obviously got to be a little more specific than pick a spot on a map. But anyone that's considering an out-of-state hunt is going to be able to do, do enough back research to, to 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 find a halfway decent area. And you know, really, you should. I mean, pick a few areas and just go. Don't put it off. Don't don't say, oh, well, I don't have the gear for that, or uh, my fitness, or. Any, any excuse that, you know, I need two, three years to plan this. If you need two, three years to budget it, okay. But it, it can be done relatively cheap. I think that even even that first year where we even, I mean, we spent plane tickets and and we got a hotel on, on the on the drive out there because it's like 22 hours from, uh, from my house out there. It was like 1500 bucks, I think. And that includes diesel split two ways, non-resident tag. I mean, it's it's within it's within reach. You just gotta you gotta do it. You can't you can't say you know you can't spend years and years of planning it because even the best planned trip is gonna go to shit. Yep, I I, I agree with that. And and you're gonna and no matter what, like your first time, you're gonna mess up so many things, and just you need to learn by doing it. I mean, that's, that's the biggest takeaway. I think, you know, what you guys are saying and I completely agree with is just doing it. You know, I, I did a a talk here recently at a wild game dinner in Michigan about planning a hunt with it. And I ended the whole thing with saying, you just got to do it. And, and it's funny, your, your budget is just about exactly what, what I came to find with mine too, is anywhere from 1500 to two grand, depending on what you wanted to spend on gear is uh you know what you can you know expect and if you break that down you know i i um, don't want to uh throw off the numbers here but it was like say 150 dollars a month if you wanted to save for one year or two years you know 83 dollars a month and there in but anyways if you look at that and you break it down it's like all right so say you're at a point where you need uh, another vehicle you need something different if you buy a, a truck that's say three years old versus one that's brand new, you still have a super reliable vehicle. But I can promise you, your payment is going to be at least one hundred fifty dollars a month cheaper than that brand new truck. And it all depends on you know what you want to make a priority in in your life to do it. And it doesn't take a whole lot, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, fifteen hundred to two grand isn't something to shy away. It's not just pocket change. But it's doable. It's and I would argue it's doable for anybody as long as you you know just you just got to plan for it, you know. And and you, you can know, do it in a year. It's funny that you bring up you bring up uh, driving or, or or not buying brand new rigs. I think Travis and I both drive ten year old rigs. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing your guys' truck. You had that big Ford at the at the trailhead there, and I remember seeing the Washington plates. <laughs> I, uh, so that, so that truck was a 2003. I recently upgraded a little bit to a 2007. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know that you're, you're exactly right, man. It's, it's, and, and you, you know, you 
maintain those vehicles and everything else and that's you know in a whole nother topic but it just it comes down to again your priorities and what you want if you want to be able to hunt elk every year or do anything like that you you can do it you can do it with a family you can do it with kids and i'm speaking you know out of turn by saying that but i'm sure i'm sure you guys can uh you know support me here and and drag me out of people yelling at me saying i don't know because i don't have those responsibilities at the moment but <laughs> you know and, and just to kind of parlay a little bit on something scott said on the end is uh, you know your trip can go to shit and and that's one thing too that um you know i don't want to speak out of turn with you either but you and i have talked about this a little bit but it's okay these trips are hard and 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 the success is not guaranteed even when you're in a, in a high a high probability unit and it's okay to fail on these trips i mean uh, some of some of our greatest failures have been some of our greatest trips. I mean, opportunities that you blown. I mean, those are that's what makes a, a story awesome. And you know, of course, it would have been it would have been significantly uh, you know better if you would have knocked the bull down or you know and, and whatnot. But at the same time, I mean, th- those are all worthwhile experiences as well. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and it, it comes down to looking at it ahead of time. If you want, if you're looking at, okay, what what are my goals going into this hunt, or what do I want out of this experience? Do you want to have just that an experience, or do you want you know a trophy class bull? If if you're looking to just go there for you know to cross it off the bucket list for a trophy class bull, then I'd probably recommend saving money and go with an outfitter, but. If, if you're looking to truly have that experience, you just got to go and, and figure it out and deal with the things that happen and, you know, be able to laugh about it afterwards. You know, it might not be as funny in the moment, but you, you got to kind of go in with that attitude, in my opinion. I think that's actually the definition of type two fun, isn't it? It is. Stuff sucks <laughs> at the time, but makes for good stories. Yep. That's my favorite type of fun. And and it's my favorite type of fun. Again, afterwards to, to talk about. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, ever. I, I was probably in my teens when I. I don't know if someone told. I feel like. I feel like it was some some mentor type for me that told me this. And I, but ever I've I've held on to it and really tried to embrace it and live it every day. Is that when I'm old and broken and my knees don't work and my back is just busted. All I'm going to have left is my stories. And I don't want to be an old man without stories. Yeah. Oh, oh I know. I and, and like I I know from like me just listening to my grandfather's talk and everything and what they've done in their life. I'm like, I want to be like that. Like I don't want to be, you know, a guy that doesn't have anything cool to be able to tell my grandkids. You know, I want to I want to live a life that's fulfilled from that stuff and most of those good stories come from bad bad experiences you know <laughs> bad, bad, wait, bad wait come on right say now. it though bad decisions. bad decisions team bad decisions that's what it is <laughs> yep that's i that's exactly right oh man that's it, it's so it's just so true and and uh matt comment who i had on this the second episode of this podcast i've referenced this you know enough times that people that have been listening to for a while have heard me say it but he was like you know you buy a vehicle and all it does is you know depreciate value every every day it's losing value when you know memories of these experiences and stuff they just appreciate over time they get greater and i think there's 
if, if something that I try to reflect on is, you know, is hearing him say that and, and, and putting that, you know, as a priority in my life to, to focus on experiences rather than, you know, the material items. But yeah, so that's, that's, that's cool. And so to, to wrap up, like your kind of your first experience going out there and everything, were you guys successful on your first trip? Yeah, no, this is, this is definitely, I guess, my story to tell. Um, so on our first trip, uh, Scott did not draw his bow back, but I let three arrows go on our first trip. <laughs> and um, uh, the, the very first morning, I had an opportunity at a bowl, and uh, he stepped through an opening that I was not anticipating, and um, I shot, and the, my yardage was off, and my arrow dove in at his feet and was buried in the dirt. Um, and... Over the course of the next six days, we experienced a, a lot of uh, adversity. Uh, we were in the tent for over 30 hours during a storm. Uh, elk disappeared and dried up. And on the very last day, I was able to get on, a, on an elk. And we had met up with, with two other guys. Uh, we call them California uh, because, obviously, they're from California. And we, had, we, we didn't know them before we got there. We ended up camping together with these guys. And, and we shared our whiskey, which is the, the universal... Uh, friendship maker and we ended up hunting with them and and him or me and uh his name was trevor um we had worked around on a corner and we ended up catching a whole herd of elk and they came they were coming right at us and let me, so let me, let me interject before this before this turns into the actual hunt story so we split up to try and kind of change up the dynamic so travis and trevor hunted together and nate and i hunted together Yep, and so Trevor, Trevor, real low key, funny guy. Nate, like borderline professional endurance athlete. <laughs> he does, he does, he does like with those like uh, five hundred mile races or thousand mile bike races or something like. That. It's it's pretty crazy. So, there <laughs> that don't understand this, I'm a fat kid. Like, <laughs> I, I got a pretty strong mental game to get through the woods. But I am a fat kid at heart. I will, I will crush a fantasy <laughs> bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you got the short end of the stick, Scott. I, I wasn't hunting. I wasn't hunting with Nate. That was not. I am just. I am absolutely <laughs> dying to keep up with him all day long. And I've already been. We've been in Colorado for six days at this point. Like you know, your legs are pretty steeled up, and he is just an animal in the mountains. Anyway, back to Travis's sad story. <laughs> So, so anyway, so I was able to sneak into the middle of this herd, and um, to be honest, to this day, I still don't know what happened. Uh, but I, I stuck a bull, and and I hit him back. And so I, I, I tried to get another arrow in him, and it was back again. He jumped the string, and so he had gone up on a rise, and you know, I was I was pretty green to elk hunting, and I made a uh, a pretty big mistake that I think a lot of veterans would never have made is when he went up on the rise, um, there was a couple different huge huge sweeping draws that left there, and I was going to try to see which direction he was going. Well, what ended up happening was is he had bedded down up on that knob up there, and and he was going to die on that knob in, in probably five or six hours. And I, I bumped him off that knob. And when you when you do that on a, on a liver or a, or a gut shot, um, they will typically run for miles. And so we ended up uh, looking... Uh, four or five, six hours that day, past last blood, and uh, we, we never found that bull. And, and that was a pretty 
emotionally draining moment uh, on the mountain after having so many opportunities and, and I haven't even delved into how many other opportunities we screwed up without even drawing our bow back. Um, but to have it all come, me. yeah, I mean, we had, we had that all come down on the last day and, uh, you know, when I shot the bull initially, I mean, he was only at 31 yards and he had went down, uh, he went and laid down immediately and I thought he was dead. And so to go from that high to the low hours later was a, it was a, it was an emotionally difficult, uh, thing to, to process. And it took me, it took me a long time to, to come back to terms with, with that and just understand that, um, while it doesn't make it better, uh, those mistakes happen. And the only thing you can do from them is to just really learn from them and, and try not to make them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if you, you hunt any animal with a, a bow long enough, you have those type of experiences. And like you said, you just got to learn from them, you know, going forward. And, and, you know, I'm sure that won't be the last one that that happens to. I hope it's not, but you know, those, those type of things do, do tend to tend to happen with bow hunting. That's for sure. But especially after that many days of hunting and everything else, I'm sure you were in the lowest of lows. Yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. So gotcha. I, along that same hunt, I made, I made a ton of rookie mistakes like calling when I mean, we, and we both did that, that we didn't touch on earlier in the week, you know, calling when we shouldn't have, or, uh, when we should have just tried to ninja or, uh, like I only had, I had a couple reads with me on the trip, but I only had one with me and I'm colorblind and I dropped a green reed in the grass and it was lost to the world. Um, and then I needed one about five minutes later. I mean, just tons of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's when you're talking about dropping the reed, just even this last year, um, when I was in Colorado, I was with a group of guys and, and uh, they moved in on this this bull, and it was a seven by five came in, and I'm watching from the other side of the creek, and the bull was at like twelve yards from them, and and but it was in the oak brush, and they couldn't get a shot, and they kept you know the bull kept going back, and what happened? What I I could have helped them if I wouldn't have I dropped my pack um, a little ways back and kind of ran up. And I forgot my bugle tube and I was just like, I felt terrible because I felt like I screwed it up because I didn't, you know, have that there to, so then, you know, the elk might've come past them rather than, you know, with them calling, you know, the bull was kind of pinpointing where the sound was coming from. So that was, you know, a difficult thing. It's a, it's a learning, you know, uh, a learning experience, I guess, but it's, it's all, it's, I, I think that's what draws me back to hunting over and over and over is it's constant learning experience. Every time I step out the door for a hunt, we learn something mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't matter the species or the season or whatever. We, it's a continual learning process and mistakes are constantly made. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, even like with, like with whitetails, some I've grown up hunting my entire life, you know, I, I screw up every single year and I learn, you know, more and more every single time. And like you said, that's what draws you back. If you were able to, you know, master it, it, it wouldn't be something that's that, uh, you know, just keeps bringing you back. I know with me, I'm addicted to just trying to learn and, and get better at things. And, and I, I've found that with most people that are obsessed with, 
with hunting and everything, they kind of, we all have those similar traits, you know, but yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah. So to kind of transition here a little bit, guys, something, you know, is something big that you guys have been working on here recently. And, and I think big is even an understatement is you're releasing a book. Yeah. Travis wrote a book, a book. Travis, what made you decide to write a write a book? You know, this it wasn't supposed to be a book. It was that was never the original goal, which I think is what you know is makes it so good. Is um, Scott had came to me and he said, you know, it would be really great if our grandkids, you know, like when he was talking when they're old and broken, or when we're old and broken, if they had if they could look back and say, you know, their their grandpa was a badass, and and you know. Why don't you try to write down your stories? Because I've always been a writer. Um, I ended up graduating college with an English degree and then promptly not using it. And um, and so I've always kept doing that, and, and it's always been a hobby. And so I sat down and started writing uh, a collection of our stories, but they didn't really come together that way. They came together as, as something a little bit different. And the more I wrote and the more uh, Scott and I talked and we started revisiting our trips and reflecting on them, the more the, the story of us really kind of came to be. And so the, the book is, is team bad decision an evolutionary tale in backcountry hunting. And it's not just a, it's not a, just a collection of hunting stories. It's a, it's a collection of, you know, I like to call it a, a self deprecating adventure tale wrapped in a do it yourself book. And it's, it's, it's supposed to be, um, a fun read for an individual uh, to learn how how we hunted the backcountry and how not to do things um, because we we screwed up a lot and I try my best to be as honest as possible in in describing some of the failures we had and sometimes today especially in in this high standard uh, social media world where where people don't like to talk about failure and whatnot. Um, I think it's important that people talk about the stuff that is is not talked about or, or not admitted to. You know, um, it took me a long time before I, I told somebody. You know, besides people who were there about that that bull in Colorado, and and the more I talked to people, the more they came out with their own stories of failure and how they had never talked about them. And and so you know that doesn't that's not supposed to make it okay. Uh, you know that. But it's supposed to be something that you can take and you can learn from. So, yeah, and and so you had asked me in there middle of summer last year if I wanted to, you know, read the chapters as you were writing them and you know provide feedback and everything. And and immediately as I was reading it, I got you know it just it was so it was so relatable to me from you know. you know, still being a green, you know, hunter when it comes to, you know, going out of state and doing things like that. It's just an awesome book. Like it's, it's things like if you've done these type of hunts, you're like, man, that, you know, that happened to me, but you don't, you don't, again, you don't see that stuff come across social media feeds or anything else. These little blips of information that you're getting in a, an almost, uh, unrealistic, um, world where everything seems, you know, super happy and, 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 uh, I guess for lack of better terms, just, just seems like everything's perfect. You know what I mean? And, and that's, and I think that's why I was so like, 
I was so pumped to read it. And I kept getting into the, you know, the chapters as, as you were reading, as you were sending them over and everything. And I got lost a little bit when I went on my elk hunt, when you were, you, I can't remember what chapter it was around that, that I wasn't able to give you the, the feedback right away, but it was, it was super cool for me to be able to read that. And I think it's even relatable to someone who's never hunted like that and to be able to learn from it and realize that it is okay that you're going to make mistakes and to kind of have those expectations. And, and you know, uh, and even more so, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression that the book is full of failure cause it's certainly not, but, but something that I try to highlight, you know, not only in my book, but I, I write a, a blog occasionally too. And, and, I wrote a blog piece called the the one percent, and and the the premise behind it is that everything that that people focus on is one percent of the hunt. You know, they focus on the kill, right? I mean, that's that's where you get your grip and grin pictures, and and that's what people put on their wall and whatnot. But but it was it's everything else that makes that hunt so great. I mean, we don't. If we wanted, if we just wanted meat, we can go to the grocery store. We can go buy a, a grass-fed cow. It's the experience of hunting and um, and everything that comes with it that makes it worthwhile. And, and that's where the real memories come from. You know, I mean, if if I was to uh, you know describe some of my top moments while I was in a hunt, sure, there'd be there, there's some pretty powerful moments where we were successful. You know, Scott's bull comes to mind. A um, couple of a couple of bear kills come to mind. But but there's so many other little nuanced stories that that really you know, bring life to your hunt. And, and those are the memories that, that stick with you for a long time. Oh yeah. And, 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 uh, just to, to say to you, and I, I told you this through just messaging back and forth, but that article, that 1% was well-written and it would highly recommend people check it out. I'll include a, a link to your blog in the, the show notes here, but it, it is, it was really well-written and when it's, it's again, one of those things that, you know, you might reflect on, yourself but it's not something that's you know talked about in in a world of you know outdoor writing that's a lot of you know tips and tactics and things like that and it was just it was a lot deeper than that so i thought i thought that was really really well written article awesome and and, you know to be honest but i'm really excited for you to to take a look at the finished piece because it really has uh i mean scott can can comment because he's been he's been there every step of the way and helping me do final proofreading the last couple days but uh, it it it's come a long way, and and it's it's a really nice polished piece of work, and I'm I'm to be honest, I'm I'm super proud of it. That's that's awesome, as you should be. I'm I'm excited to get to see the final, the final you know touches on it, and and get to read it from beginning to end, and uh, and and do that. And I hope that everyone else gets to to you know check out the check out the book and and do it because, like I said, it's it's different. I've I've got into reading a lot of books and unlike you, I do not have a, you know, a writing background, which I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up that you said you had an, you know, an English degree in college because I was wondering, I'm like, how did, how did you learn to write? But, uh, you know, for me, I just kind of fumbled through my words and, and just took my scrambled brain of thoughts and just, and just put them on paper. But it's, it's a very well-written book from that perspective too. Oh, I appreciate those words. Yeah, no problem. But, and, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fun read too. Like, so it's, you know, it's informational and you can learn a lot from it, but it's just the fun, you know, I caught myself laughing a few times when you guys are talking about when you're drinking whiskey and, and everything else and just having fun, you know, through the whole, the whole thing. 
Yeah, I feel like it's a very realistic account of what it's like to actually hang out with us, yeah. <laughs> which is scary. <laughs> but, you know, and, and Scott and I were just talking the other day, and and there's a there's a story in there that I, I actually don't know if if you've read this, so maybe it'll be a nice surprise for you. Um, but it it I've I can't tell you how many times I've you know revising and revisions and stuff. It's it's countless number of times that I've read through this, and I still find myself laughing at at this one particular story. And to be honest with you, we were on a hunting trip, um, but we didn't have any opportunities. But but the you know for lack of a better word the shenanigans that happen leading up to us even getting into the location is is probably one of the funniest things that i've that i've ever encountered and not at the time this was very type two uh but uh but yeah i'm, I'm excited for your for you and, and for your listeners to to take a read so yeah man i'm 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 really pumped about it and and again it made me it made me realize that i'm scared at the time when uh either we get to hunt together or or just hang out because uh, I think it could get it could get a little little uh, western. <laughs> it's okay. You've been hungover before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not not at twelve thousand feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's great. But yeah, is, is there anything else that that uh, Travis you want to cover on the the book side of things and and kind of you know give the listeners you know some some information on, you know, the release of it and, you know, where they can find that information. Yep. So, um, I think we talked the the, sh- the show will probably air early April. Um, and it'll be pretty close to the release date. We're looking at an April 6th release date. And kind of like we talked about earlier, I'm, I'm, we're on, uh, we're on schedule for that deadline. Uh, so right now uh, I do have pre-release open on my website, which is www.teambaddecision.com. And the pre-order is available for the paperback as well as the Barnes & Noble and Apple book. Amazon doesn't allow a pre-order. And so if you're a Kindle reader, then you're going to have to catch that on the release date of April 6th. Uh, but that all those links are going to be through my website as well. Okay, cool. I'll, uh, I'll find them. And like I said, I'll add those in the show notes as well. So it's easier for people to, to be able to find that and, and, uh, and, and check it out. So, And like I said just from the standpoint of, you know, I've got to read most of it, you know, from, and as it was going through revisions and, and I haven't seen the final product yet, but I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty pumped too. So like, like we yeah. kind of talked about, this has been such a big project and, and, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty surreal that we're so close to the end. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that I that I haven't really talked with anyone about that is kind of an interesting thing throughout the book is you Travis starts out writing it and obviously he's a writer and it's fine but you get to see his progression as a photographer early there's lots of pictures in the book early in the book there's only pictures of like landscapes animals and Travis and then somewhere around 2015 Maybe 2016, you start to actually see pictures of me in the book because Travis has finally learned how to take a photograph. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, well, at least at least you got your you know claim to fame, Scott, and he uh, you know included you in there. That was nice of him. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I might have wrote the book, and, and but I'll tell you what, man. Uh, 
my memory is is for shit and scott scott did a really good job i mean even now i mean we're up to judgment day here and and he's still like you still haven't you still haven't changed this this still isn't exactly right you know i don't want to say exactly right like uh somebody brought a, a, a certain tent brand and I got it mixed up with another tent brand or something like that. I mean, like some, like really small details, but, but Scott's minutia uh, of, of memory is, has been extremely important in, in helping me write this book as, as uh, accurately as possible. So yeah, that's good. That's, that's cool. So yeah, everyone, I, like I said, definitely check that out and, um, and hopefully uh, they'll purchase the, the book and, and check it out. Cause it, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to get to to read it from beginning to end and and hold the book in my hands. So, is there anything else that that you guys would like to add as some like finishing thoughts here? Uh, you know, I mean, if if you like photography, we've also got a Instagram page, um, st underscore team bad decision. Um, we Scott as Scott said, Scott likes to take a lot of pictures, and and I'm slowly getting better. Um, but uh, you can see some other kind of stuff on there, and, and like I said, thanks for having us on, man. I mean, this has been a lot of fun, and we've been talking about this conversation. I mean, before the book, I and mean, we were talking about getting together and and talking about elk hunting and bear hunting and whatnot. And I'm glad we were able to make that happen. So, yeah, no, and and, and appreciate your guys' support, you know, with the podcast and just everything else. Like I said, from last year, I mean, it, it, you guys were my lifeline as far as. You know, when I was elk hunting, it was funny when when I would get service even on the mountain. You know, I got messages from from you guys both like, "What's the update? What, what are you doing? Where are you getting an elk? Or what's what's going on?" And it was just funny to 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 go back and forth, and it was you know a lot of help. You're like, "Check out this spot. You know, check it here." And and it uh, it's it's great to be able to have you know those resources, and I hope to be able to return the favor on that someday. You know, it, as as kind of a, a final closing thought, that can be very helpful to, you know, to to kind of a, a, a reiteration and, and just kind of a revisit of the thought process for the veteran hunter and and for the for the for the new guy. It is so easy to get to a point in the hunt where all you want to do is be home. You know, it's hard. It's the weather or or. or other hunter pressure or lack of animals. It's so easy to talk yourself off the mountain and leaving is always the easier choice, but it's, it's not five hours down the road or three days back at home. All you're going to want to do is be back on that mountain. Yeah. And it's such a small, just a small thought that you kind of let get in. And all of a sudden it seems like the better choice to bail. And, we cover this in the book pretty well because we've got some, some trips that we did early together that really feel like unfinished business. And we would really like another crack at them. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, that's, that's some really good advice. I mean, I, I can promise you again, from my perspective that no matter what you will hit that point, when you start doing some of these you know, Western hunts or out of state hunts or whatever it may be, you will hit a point, even if you're hunting in your home state, you know, where you just want to quit and throw in the towel, but you will, especially when you're, you know, again, driving across the country or whatever, as soon as you get in that truck and you're, you know, part way across from, you know, us coming from the East, you're on interstate 80 or 70 heading East again, you're going to be like, shit, I really wish I 
would have stayed that extra day or didn't come out, you know, that early. Well, and, and that's the thing you, you talk about the extra day and it, there's a, there's a weird, there's a weird weaving on the psyche. You know, you, you say you give yourself 10 days on an elk hunt and you start getting in there and you're seeing how many days it takes or how many hours it takes you to get around. You know, you need to be home Sunday. You start thinking about, well, I plan to hunt till Saturday and then drive home. But if I kill an elk Friday, I don't know if I can get it back to the truck Saturday to be home Sunday. So I might as well just pack out Thursday. Like you got to hunt every day you give yourself. Yep. You'll figure it out. You'll fit. If you come to that situation, you kill in the last hour, you'll figure it out. And, and but don't talk yourself out of it early. Yeah. Nope. That's, I think that's a really good takeaway, Scott. I appreciate that. And the only reason I know this is because we've done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so have I, that's why I'm thinking of like my first hunt when I, we, we packed out at like noon, we were supposed to hunt till dark, you know, that day or whatever. And we packed out at noon and, and that's all we could talk about on, the, you know, uh, as we were hiking back to the truck, all we could think about was cold beer and pizza. And, you know, we were super pumped for that. And then on the way home, you know, all we could think about is getting back out there because we, you know, we just wanted another, you know, chance at it. It's all it takes is one more opportunity. Yep. And, that, and, and those opportunities, you know, as many times as it can be talked about is, you know, it only takes that one moment. It is so true. You know, but all right, guys. Well, hey, I really appreciate you you coming on here and talking with me, and and you know setting some time out of the, the busy schedule here with the the book release and and everything else, family. So, thank you, thank you very much. Thanks, Bo. Thank you, Bo. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.